I'm Kyle. And I'm Jason. And this is Monetize Media. On today's episode, we speak with Josh Babbitt of the Hacker's Paradise, an online community of golf enthusiasts. Josh dove in headfirst in 2008, quitting his job along with his wife and investing their own money into building a respected golf product review site. He is focused on creating a highly engaged community through a lively forum and 15 in-person events across the country each year, all supported by partners or premium sponsors. Josh's approach is different from most. Little reliance on traditional banner ads, no affiliate, and no traditional subscription fees. He has effectively built an online club which premium sponsors are willing to support so they can create unique opportunities with their most valuable customers. Listen now as Josh dives in to the grit and tinkering required to build a web property with no development skills, the complexity of an events-driven business, and the one tool he could not run his business without. On to the interview. All right. want to welcome on Josh Babbitt to Monetize Media from the Hackers Paradise and THP Media. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So it's probably worth starting off every interview here with uh, give us your background, how you started uh, the Hackers Paradise, which I believe was in 2008, the origin story, and explain to the audience what it is and where they can find it. So I've done a lot of different things in my life, but only a couple of different careers. But I have family members involved in the internet and things like that. When I gotten out of a previous business, I was an avid golfer and used to play a lot. And I was going online and looking for information because my then fiance, now wife and business partner, she wanted to take up the game. And I was looking for information on clubs. And everything I came across was when you do a deep dive, because I tend to do that, whether I'm buying a television or anything else, I couldn't find the information I was looking for outside of user spots in message boards and things like that. And I'd never been a message board person. I'd never even been a member of a message board. And I started looking around, and this is long before the Reddits of the world, or at least were popular, and I couldn't find anything that I really thought was, that fit me and my personality, which is sometimes bold, sometimes subdued, but a little more, I don't want to call it intellectual, because that comes off as egotistical, and it's not meant that way, but a little more even-keeled. The internet wasn't this crazy, I like puppies, therefore I'm going to kick the person who likes cats kind of place like it is now. It was more, you know, everyday conversation. So I started looking around. I couldn't find that. And I decided to do was go on a whim and start it. We had some savings saved up and we did it. And here we are, good Lord, 15 years later, still doing it. Did you jump in full time right away? Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I to go a step further, we jumped in full time not knowing anything about computers, anything about the internet, anything about web design. WordPress really was just in its infancy. You know, it looking back, wow, that was really not a great decision. But, you know, it worked out. What we tried to do was go with gut instinct, be the opposite of what we thought the world was, which was firing off an email with made up statistics saying, I do this, I reach this, and instead be honest with companies that we're in growth mode. We are going to put our money behind it. We're learning as we go, but work with us and we're not going to charge you any money. And for the first two years, we took zero advertising dollars and had zero Google ads. And proved ourselves to where we could be a partner of an unbiased source and kind of run with that. There's some misnomers in the 
I'll call it the review. I'm doing finger quotes, even though a lot of people are listening to this, <laughs> you know, in the world of reviews that you are paid to write what you are and do this and that. And I can tell you in 15 years, not one time has any company ever said, write this or don't write that. It's never happened. And I keep waiting for it to happen, but it's never happened. So I- explain to the audience what the business is now. So that's a good background that you started. I believe the website says 2008, right? Just to kind of date this. Yeah. May of 2008, we launched the website a little, like five months later, we launched the forum. The website was so bad. Like if you hear about internet tales of dot matrix printers and pixels and things like that, ours was like that, but in 2008. So that should tell you how bad we were at this. Our graphic, our logo was literally clip art. That's, you know, that's how bad it was. And it's evolved from there, but it's hard to explain. Golf media in nuts and bolts, but it's a website, it's an online community, it's events, it's video, it's podcasts, it's it's your typical golf media company that tries to do everything and does very little of it well, but does a lot of it with hard work. How did you start? So what point, like which one, that's a lot. It does a lot. You can't do, I guess, all that immediately well or at scale. What was the first part or was it all of it that you guys really went into? Was it writing? Was it video reviews? And then when did you know you were onto something? Yeah, it was writing golf article reviews on things that weren't always found, whether that be a smaller brand, whether that be a lot of apparel stuff, accessories, things that people weren't talking about. Instead, they were talking about the latest and greatest equipment, and we wanted to get into that, but we needed an audience first. And from there, we added a forum because the forum thing was really kind of strange. Not only did I want people that shared a like mind, so to speak, to chat about a passion they have. But I also wanted to show future partners that we have an audience. You know, you always hear that, oh, well, we're getting 900 million views a day like Google. And then you look and they have comments turned off because nobody's commenting. I wanted to show our audience the equipment company side that we do have an audience. And I remember little things like the first time we had 100 people on our forum at one time. And now I can't remember the last time we didn't have several thousand. So it started with the website. It went to the forum. The events launched several years later, and they were not done for the reason most people think they were done. Yeah, I know the events thing is certainly something we want to get into. I'll leave it for a little bit Okay, later in the podcast. But what was the thing that surprised you the most, Josh, when you, when you first started and you were like, oh, that works or oh, that doesn't work? The first thing was being anti-clickbait. I'm such, first of all, I'm guilty of like clicking on every clickbait in the world. Oh, you found a UFO outside of Denver? Yeah, I have to see those pictures. Like I'm so bad about it. But the second thing was really, I wanted to be anti that. And the most traffic we ever got on our site way back when was based on sort of a clickbait thing, but it wasn't. We got news of a player changing to a different equipment company. We posted that and it took off and that was kind of where it started. But I think it was really just being genuine. And it sounds so cliche and I'm not a cliche guy at all, but telling a story from the viewpoint of a passionate golfer, not from a niche golfer that just missed the tour by two strokes. And it started to grow. What I see, Josh, when I go to, to THP, telling Kyle about this the other day, I immediately get a feeling of integrity for what you have on the site. I, I do not feel as if I am being sold to or pushed into a direction of something. You know, and obviously coming from where we have been in our previous business, you know, strong affiliate sides of things and, you know, push, push, push. It was refreshing 
It really was. And it was just like, wow, this, you know, I legitimately feel as if if I'm searching for a review on an iron or a putter or anything, that I'm going to get that result when I, when I dive in. It speaks to your genuine aspect of what you learned very early, I'm sure. Well, it's really twofold. First of all, we take zero affiliate programs. Zero. It's a hard line in the sand. It's not a knock for places that do, but I think it does blur the line a little bit between media and salesperson. You know, if uh, there's companies who come to us every day, if you sell our product, we'll get $9 per thing. I'm not interested. If you want content created around your product, features, things like that, I'm happy to do so. But that's something completely different. But the affiliate program thing was something we did hard and fast. And I'll kind of go back a little bit because what the heck, I'm always long-winded. When we said early on that we would take zero advertising dollars, we really meant it. And I remember sitting on the couch next to my wife who runs this place behind the scenes. And we got a call from a company and said, listen, we want to be an ad sponsor. And I said, okay, you know, what's the budget and things like that. And she threw, throws out a number. And I said, at this time, we're just not taking advertising. We're going to wait a full two years. And we were like one month short of that. And I hang up the phone and my wife says, call her back. <laughs> and we were short on cash, I guess, at that point. And she says, you need to call her back and make that happen. And I did about 15 minutes later. And that budget went down by about 50%. Yep. So this woman who's no longer in golf by the name of Brooke, was calling from the parent company of Cleveland Golf. And she said, we want to be a partner of yours. We like what you're doing. And we ended up doing that. And that kind of opened the floodgates when people saw that because the banner ad world is something that I really struggle from a common sense thing to understand. Now, we have banner ads all over our site, some from partners, some from Google ads and things like that. But the success rate that you're paying very high amounts of money for is like at best half a percentage point. And I just don't understand from a marketing standpoint, I know there's budgets and you have to spend that money, why that's there. I think it's more validation for the website than it is the company who's doing it, especially with the ad blockers that exist nowadays. So that part was a little bit about the story of the monetization of where we ended up being. And obviously we have 38 partners, I think right now. We call them partners, not sponsors, because it really is a two-way street with our event platform that takes place in part of it and some other things. But it's really been a quite the journey on that side. Talk about how it's a win-win for, for you guys for your audience and for partners cuz you know looking from afar it seems like they really like you and what you guys are able to bring and the audience you're able to bring your audience sees value in it but you guys are doing it seems like a pretty nice job of sitting in the middle there of not just hey this is an ad and is content but it's a, some of it sounds like paid content so how do you sort of stay in that lane and then also provide a win-win for all parties so first we will cover every single brand the same. It does not matter if they're a paid sponsor or not. Our packages that we do, we've never sold like, oh, you get a banner ad. I, I just, I, I can't do it in my right mind. If that's what they're looking for, we're the wrong partner for them. We have a lot of different tools from the forum to a digital magazine that goes out to a podcast to video content from the tech studio that's to the left of me here to different features to backstories, things like that. If somebody wants product coverage, I'll cover their products exactly the same as everybody else. If they want something else, that's part of our grand scheme of packages. We're definitely not pay to play and never will be. In fact, as we've been on this call, I got an email saying, I'm not a sponsor, but I'd like you to cover this. They don't need to preface it with that, where that's not how we do things. And I think that goes back to your question before of why does it seem so even keeled? Part of it is the forum. People can talk about whatever they want. They don't have to talk about our partners. They can talk about any brand they want. How does that work when you have a brand 
who knows they might otherwise get coverage on your site. But they also might think like, hey, we want to guarantee coverage. So we want to see if we can pay for that. How does that work? Because if I'm a big brand, I'm like, okay, well, they're going to cover it anyway. Do, is, it, is it worth it? That's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that. I think that there's some brands and I'm a off the cuff guy like TaylorMade Golf has made it fairly clear, not with us necessarily, but they prefer a different avenue, which is the more casual fan, the barstool sports, that kind of thing. And they do a great job with that stuff. And that's where they've allocated a lot of those funds. Whereas other brands really like that core golfer and the message that our form has zero politics allowed, much more even keeled, the passionate golfer, like the Callaways, Cobras, Srixons, you know, Project X of the world. And, and they find value in what we do. And there's a little bit of a, of a difference too, is I always say, we definitely do not overcharge companies. At least I don't think so. So there's a fine line between what we're charging where we're merely a decimal point removal versus you want a TV ad that's going to cost you several hundred thousand dollars. There's a definite fine line there. And we're able to do that not to pat ourselves on the back because we're very low scale as far as internal costs. Do you find new readers coming from the most? Is it strictly reviews? Is it contest postings on for, on Twitter? You know, what, what do you feel really attracts the new reader? That's the million dollar question. If I had the ultimate answer, I'd be wealthier than I am. <laughs> I think the, the real point is message board software does a really good job of indexing in Google. So search engine is important. Social media growth has helped and our partners sharing our content has helped. You know, you know, there's one of our partners in Callaway Golf. We do a thing with them each year called the Granddaddy, and it's the ultimate dream come true trip for any golfer. I mean, you're all expenses paid. You're flown to California. You're fit by the guys who fit the people on tour. You go play an amazing place that you would not normally be allowed to step foot on and things like that. That's a very large audience. Their, their marketing budget is large, and they're really good at what they do with content. So sharing that stuff makes us grow. It's funny. That's kind of the our idea behind this podcast, right? We talk to people who have an audience and the hope is, okay, you know, they're going to share it with their audience and some people might find us that way. Talk about, you said your costs aren't massive, right? What does your staff look like? I see on the website, you have a number of people involved, you know, from experience, sometimes those could be a number of freelancers or they could be full-time. What does your staff look like uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, one of the things we wanted to do early on was because we accept money from sponsors is have other people write the actual reviews and the testing of the products. And I think that separates things a little bit. So we have several staff writers, we have a content creator, and then we have, of course, our four moderators. The bulk of the behind the scenes work is done by Morgan and myself. And, and we have an IT person. I need to say that first and foremost, Ben, if you're listening to this, you are the reason we're in business because we don't know anything about computers. By staying lean and mean, we're able to help support them to the best of our abilities, as well as supporting the audience. We've made plenty of mistakes in spending over the years from multiple RVs to travel the country and bring golf clubs to people to the simulator next to me. I mean, that's not really a mistake, but they're not inexpensive to do. And we always believe in investing back in the business. And again, that's cliche, but it's not really in our case. We do, and we believe in it. Those content folks, are they full-time with you? Or are they full-time equivalent? Or do you have a rotating like group of freelancers? No, they're not full-time. I would say they put up with me enough to pretend they're full-time, meaning yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. fairly demanding and terrible to work for. She's much better to work for than I am. So I don't expect anybody to keep my hours because that's not fair. 
but they do a pretty darn good job of coming close. Can you give us the quick and dirty on the RV trip? Um, well, we bought the first one. So this is a true story. There's a gentleman by the name of John Kim, who at the time was with Yahoo Sports, now works for US, uh, US Kids. And we were standing in line at the PGA show, and there was another, there was an upstart golf channel comp- competitor, if you will, called, I can't even remember the name of their brand. And they had this RV there. And I said, wouldn't it be cool if instead of just sitting there, like, keep the expletive out of this, um, you actually did something with that RV and took some partners like a Callaway, TaylorMade, Nike at the time, and delivered products to a location and your audience would come out and play them. And he made the joke. He turned around and I'll never forget his face. He turned around and said, well, wait six months. And when they're out of business, you can probably buy that one. (laughs) And ironically enough, they didn't last much longer than that. But we went home and I said to my wife, I think we should do this. I think that's a huge idea. And it was not a good idea. That first 40-foot RV was a terrible idea. We had a lot of fun, but it was a horrible, horrible idea because we were dating back to before internet was really fast on the road. And us getting excited if we got 3G network coverage to upload a photo that took like four minutes to upload. And then we shrunk that down to a Sprinter van, did that for another five years with the Sprinter van. We didn't live in the Sprinter van. We had a home base and stayed in hotels, but we brought equipment. We would do an event with, you know, fill in the blank company, and we would come out there in the Sprinter van and have it full of gear and stuff like that. And it was a lot of fun, but those are two colossal, expensive items that looking back probably weren't the best investment. What do those events look like? Those events are the time and, and now you bringing your audience out to try these clubs, and then you're getting the partner. And you're, fi- you're going to your audience and you're bringing the partners back. The events were started. Um, have you been on social media recently? Unfortunately. Yeah, Sadly, people yeah. are angry. Do you know how much harder it is to be angry at somebody if you're going to offer them a free trip somewhere? That's true. <laughs> That's why the events were started. It is much harder to be an ass to somebody, excuse my language, if you might be playing golf next to them in a foursome at some dream trip. I got the chance early on to go on these media trips whether it be any one of these companies where they would introduce their new equipment. And I used to say, this is amazing. And what if we took one of these companies? And I think one of the first ones we did was with Callaway. And I said, what if we took one of these companies, brought these two people, someone like a Jason Finley who interacts really well with a group, and at the same time brought 10 lucky forum members or 20 lucky forum members to come out and they could do these dream trips where they got to do it, but on a consumer level. And here we are 10 years later, and we have 15 of those events, some limited to just two lucky winners, some limited to 16 people and new clubs. You know, you should, it's not often where you put something out there and you get to go to an event. And when you get there, you get a full bag of clubs. You get to meet the people who created the clubs. You get to play golf with them. You get apparel scripting and the whole nine yards. And we always said that we would try to do something where they had skin in the game too, because for us, The most important aspect of that is post-event, we need them to talk about their equipment. And if it's all expenses paid and free, the chances of vanishing are a little high. If we charge a few hundred dollars that probably wouldn't even cover the rounds of golf, they will then stay around and have some skin in the game to do it. And it's worked out pretty well. Last couple of points brought up two really interesting things about running a media or web content business. One is the business side of it. You said you're a terrible business guy and guy to work for, which is a whole- Oh, no, I'm a good business guy. I'm a terrible guy to work for. (laughs) Terrible guy to work for. So 
that's a whole separate skill, just the business side of it in general, from running a content and a media business. And then you are layering on many levels of complexity beyond the typical online content or media business, which is you're doing events, you have an RV, all the stuff you just talked about. So I don't know, whichever order, I'll ask first about the, since we're on it, the events. And you're doing things that are much more complex, capital intensive, time intensive, require logistics than the average bear who's doing something on the internet and making money. How difficult is that for you? And how do you split your time between focusing on the website and, hey, we got a trip to plan? And 15 is a lot. Yeah, it's hard. I said early on, I'm not the best at any of this, but I will work harder than just about anybody. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it well, but I do. I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. I start my day by 5. I don't stop until 5 o'clock and still online with a presence till I go to sleep. And that, that's not a life for everybody. It is a path I've chosen. My wife puts up with it. I don't know how. She's a saint, I guess. I, I think most people think that already. But it's not a path for most people, and it's a path most people couldn't stand. But it is one for me. And as we've gotten larger, I thought it would get easier. It's actually worse. And I shouldn't say worse because it's actually a lot more fun, but the events have become a lot more intensive of planning. We want somebody to leave one of our events, if they're one of the lucky six or eight to get in, and think it is the best weekend they've ever had, barring maybe having children. And it's a close maybe. How does the ability to attend one of those events tie into the Albatross Club and then just somebody being a reader on THP? So the Albatross Club was something we came up with early on, not necessarily by that name. I think that name came a little later where we wanted to do have a charity component. You know, every website in the world asks for donations and we're no different. Um, we don't ask for donations. We put a club together and have some pretty good benefits. It's not for everybody, but my wife and I had the opportunity to visit St. Jude, which we don't recommend to anybody. Uh, it's an amazing place, but obviously if you're going to St. Jude, you usually have a reason, but we don't have children. So and upon visiting there, we realized the work they were doing, and we can help a small thing. At the same time, there's no secret. There's a tax benefit there. But we take an Albatross Club, have a charity component to it, and you have to be a member of the Albatross Club to have the chance to sign up for the events. And then getting into the events is random. We had a person last year join the Albatross Club, enter the Granddaddy Contest, which is the epitome of it all, and win a spot in that trip all within like a 10-day period. Oh, wow. And he paid his $35 for the Albatross Club, got $20,000 probably back in a package. And he's a good guy, and we see him every day now posting. But it is 100% completely random because, you know, we talked about this before. If you fix it, you're responsible when it ends up being a mistake. If you let it random, you never know who you're going to meet. And I've been fortunate enough to meet some pretty amazing people through this in every walk of life in every economic sector you could imagine. Did it ever surprise you like the, you know, diversity in terms of just ages or region or whatever of the audience you have and people who might show up at your event? You're like, wow, I wouldn't have expected, you know, that to be part of my audience or whatever. Surprise, no, because I've walked up as a golf course and as a single and you never know who you're going to get paired with. Humbling, yes. You know, I've seen some email addresses join my website that you think maybe you should be working a little harder during the day because I know where you work and I know who you are and you're a public figure. But in general, no, but it is humbling and it's really humbling. We say this a lot. And when you do what we do and talk about something we care about for a living, regardless of all the work that goes into it and people care, it means more than people think. Talk about the studio. I say uh, you've referred to it a few times. 
seen it on the website. And again, it's to me, that's one of those things that's really atypical of a, of a typical content business and website. You're doing the trips, you're doing the events, but you also have a studio and you guys do a lot there. Where is it? How much time does it take? You know, filming, editing, all that stuff. A lot of time, but you know, that's time that's planned out accordingly. We'll have some of our staff come into town and we'll plan, okay, well, we have eight hours today. That's we have enough to film XYZ segments. We'll storyboard everything other than the actual data because everything's recorded with data and go from there. But the studio was designed because we've used launch monitors for years to get data, but it's so weather dependent. And if you want to run to the course, that's also a problem. You know, time is a problem. If I want to test something and somebody gives me a request, can you test these two things side by side? I can do that. So with the help of our partners, you know, we have basically every club on the market here every shaft out there. And we can do all of those things that they ask us to do and give them the information we think in the best way possible. We're probably not the best at that as far as video content, but we're getting better at it. And we have some pretty good plans coming up for different types of video as well. Because I think, while I don't think video is the future of golf, because I still think it gears towards an older segment as far as reviews, I know that I'm in the minority in that aspect. I do think it's important from a search engine standpoint because YouTube is owned by Google and it's very important. Josh, have you thought about the the reverse of the video of when a reader is also testing or potentially has purchased, you know, a new set of clubs and then they send in, you know, their review or their thoughts and then to your point, if the future is not potentially, you know, YouTube reviews but, you know, TikTok reviews or something along those lines. Like, can you walk me through your thought process there of how that would be incorporated or how it has been in the past? Yeah, I think the forum is the best example of that is people can post anything they want in there. And we have people every day, they'll buy a set of clubs or they'll go to the range and they'll test something out. They'll film a video or write up their thoughts, take pictures and everything else and post it right in our forum. And I think that's the beauty of it from the aspect of they can talk about anything they want. And we love that side of it. If we were relying only on our testing, our website would be very slow. It's amazing to me too, because forums have been around for as long as I can remember on the internet. And to your point, they are they seem to be loved to be indexed by Google. And I'm going around and, and looking at some businesses and how they're operating. It, it's a, an, an amazing reminder to me of when you can control, potentially, I'm gonna use that word lightly, the conversation, how much better off it can be, you know, to your point earlier today about social and how, and how just the hatred there. Yeah, I think so. And we definitely don't want to control anything, but we do have some pretty, I'll say, strict rules, basically being number one, no political talk at all. Zero. We're not going to align. Nobody's going to align with me. I'm pretty out there, but we're, we're not going to align. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we keep this talking about the thing that brought you here, we're better off. But we have a huge section on food because my wife and I are foodies. And that gets just as much conversation as golf sometimes. We have a travel section where people talk about. So we want people to come on and talk about everything. The goal with the message board side of it was to be like you pulling up a chair at your local country club and talking with your buddies after the round. And it's worked so far. I don't I don't know, you know, with the message board world, it will work long term. But they've been pretty bulletproof so far as far as how new age media is viewed. But 
you know, things change and we'll, we'll try to adapt. I mean, when we started this thing, social media outside of Facebook didn't really exist. Yep. And we're horrible at social media, by the way. What's that like when new people come into the fold? You guys have a pretty, you're pretty balanced social presence. I'm looking here, 10,000 on Facebook, 22,000 on Twitter, 36,000 on Instagram, 7,000 on YouTube. So you don't over index on any one platform. I'm sure that eventually brings eyeballs into you guys, into the form, and then thus makes them more likely event candidates and things like that. Because it sounds like you guys have a ton of engagement in the forum and people are talking about food and travel and probably a number of people know each other either through their handle or have met each other at the events. How do you find like bringing new people into the fold and growing the business at the same time, not watering down the, you know, what you have, the community you've built? Because that can be tricky. You know, someone comes into a forum and has their first post and, you know, they're blackballed right away. That is a great question because for years I tried to, I don't want to say move away from the forum, but make us more social media relevant and make us more website article relevant. And it was always to the detriment of the business. And, you know, I got really good advice from somebody who's no longer in golf, but smart guy who said, stop trying to reinvent your wheel, just go with the wheel that brought you there. And we do it. We don't. We don't do a very good job of social media. We do okay to think about the traffic we have on our website compared to the traffic that we have in social media, and it's really lacking. That's a goal for the upcoming, the rest of this year and the upcoming years, is to increase that. But everything we do is geared around our online community. Our videos. We do nothing to promote our videos because they're literally hosted on YouTube and posted on our forum, which we rarely get the credit for the amount of views for, which is kind of funny, also. But Facebook, we do nothing on, you know, other than a link to our articles each day. We're going to try to do a better job of those things, but it all comes back to our online community because, again, cliche as it is, they're kind of like our family. We're with them every day talking about this. How do you bring those new people in? Do you know, like, the mix of search for social versus pay? I guess I should have answered your question. Yeah, I think that that's one of the hardest things is when someone comes in and they they the first thing they see is an event thread that's got 7,000 posts in four days. Like, how do you feel welcome? And we always tell people, jump in head first. The name of the website is the hacker's paradise, not the mini tour player's paradise or anything like that. Everybody is welcome. But for those that jump in or are a little intimidated, get your feet wet. Start a post, make a response, do anything, read a little bit, whatever makes you comfortable or ask any one of our staff members for, for help because they are all helpful, some more than others. Back to the granddaddy and seeing the information there, is that how does someone become a granddaddy captain and how does, how does that process work? It kind of feels like that's like a, an illustrious position uh, for that trip to Callaway. Yeah, it's a lot of work. That is one of the few things where I am judge, jury, and executioner <laughs> on. I will choose the granddaddy captain. I've made good decisions. I've made bad decisions. I think with that one, we usually look for somebody, we need activity on the form, someone who shares a similar value to us in regards to golf, not life, and doesn't take themselves too seriously. So last year for the granddaddy, we never know if it's coming back. You know, that's not a us decision. With most of the events, it's an us decision. With that one, it's a Callaway decision. And we had a gentleman by the name of Matt Dawson in Minneapolis. It's Matty D. It goes Maddie Dimples is what they call him, but it's Maddie D M N P L S or whatever it is from Minneapolis. And I, I'd met Matt one time at a different event and he's a nice guy, really good golfer. And I said, I came back to Morgan. I said, you know, he's almost too nice, but I think he'd be a really good granddaddy captain. 
And she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, let's just do it. Let's run with it. We, we had to find a new captain at that time. And it was great. And other times I feel like I've known the person forever and it hasn't been as good. But everybody who gets that opportunity is going to have a level of work behind it to keep to herd cats, so to speak, because it's a long buildup. You'll find out you're the granddaddy captain in January, let's say, and the event is in December. That's a long time to have this thing waiting for you. And what are their responsibilities as the, as the captain? Keep the team organized. Rule number one of the granddaddy is don't be a dick. Excuse my language. That's That was not my rule. It came nice. from Callaway. Just don't do that. Make sure your people are... I've always said, if you are going to this dream trip, have a presence on the forum beforehand. So when it comes to the live time that you're there and you're posting live from the golf course in Callaway, people have a vested interest in you. So jump into other event threads and talk those people up, share information about your golf game, do all these things so people know who you are, at least your screen name leading up to this, common sense stuff. Like, I might listen to your podcast now because I've, I've seen you guys and I've heard what you're about. No different than this. But being the captain, you have to keep 11 other guys organized to do that. How do you, um, how do you, guys, how do you think about growing this? Like, how do you think about keep growing? You guys have been in business for what, 14 years now. What is, are you in like a, a level of like, you know, stasis where you guys are just like, okay, this is our business. We're going to do this and we'll take the organic Never. growth. Or are you keep, keep pushing? And what does pushing look like for you guys? I'm a stagnant is death kind of person. So to me, it's not a monetization part of it. We've done well for ourselves and that's fine. To me, it's a relevancy thing. There are people who have come along who do what I do better. They do. They don't work as hard. I can guarantee that. But they do what I do better, whether it's videos that are more polished, whether it's search engine optimization that's better, whether it's all these different things. But we're going to continue to get better at all those things and do them all. And we've been so ahead of the curve, probably stupidly. I'm going to, I haven't shared this with people, but we started posting our videos, interviewing athletes and stuff back in like 2008 on YouTube. I didn't monetize that till last year. <laughs> I, I didn't know, you know, <laughs> I didn't know YouTube was a vibe because I didn't pay attention to YouTube because those videos were posted on our website. So, you know, there's things that I'm learning every day. I'm an avid reader of this stuff. So. I think that to me, it's not about growth from a business side of it. To me, it's about doing things better so we can continue to have the partners we've had. Most of them have been with us for nine to 10, 11 years. That's amazing. Real quick, I was going to say that stickiness you have with your audience, that engagement, the fact that people know people by their handle and by name, that's so important today. And weird. Right? I mean, everything for the last decade has been, how do you get social traffic? How do you get SEO traffic? How could you buy traffic? And it all comes back to something as simple and I don't want to say old fashioned, but it's been around the longest, the form, because you have allegiance to your audience and brands want to pay for that. And, and in this day and age where everything is built on top of a platform, somebody else controls and can change the algorithm. And, and I've been on the other side of this where Google has changed the algorithm and screwed one part of my business, right? But you guys own the audience. That's so valuable. I don't have a question. It's a, it's a point. Okay. So two things. You caught me at the right time because literally, literally yesterday, yesterday we posted a contest on Instagram for a company that we really like that makes the best golf towels in the world called Devant. And they made an ice cold beer golf towel. It's cool. It's just got a picture of a beer on there. Not even a can, just like in the mug. And I said, you know, giving a towel away sometimes, oh, why don't I give away a wedge to go with it from my personal wedges? And we uploaded it and Instagram immediately said, we're not sending that to anybody because it has alcohol. Wow. <laughs> I asked for a request. And I mean, like, if you could see the analytics, it's 
10% of what we normally get, almost like they shadow banned the post. Wow. Uh, first of all, I think that's ridiculous because it's a freaking golf towel. Um, but I view the form that way. Now, I'm going to, this is going to sound super weird, but a lot of the stuff I say does that. I, I view this as there's a line that one of the best promoters in the history of the world said, and it's Vince McMahon, and I'm not even a wrestling fan, but for per, pure promotion, there's probably never been anybody. He said, you can lie to everybody you want, but never lie to your audience. And I've always been, like, you go to these websites that have forms and the owners of the forms never make a post or never talk, or companies have a contact us, but it's literally a form. People can ask me anything they want and I'll respond to every question on there. I'm on there every single day as part of my job because I believe in the transparency. I'm always going to be 100% honest with the audience. And I think that's one of the big separators lost is people hide behind handles. They hide behind a keyboard. They do all these things in these world. I'm not, you can come and talk to us. You can come and talk to the staff. It's our rule number one is be on our forum and talking to people. When you go to you know the country club in Nashville or Florida, are you known as the THP guy? Is that, is that just like your thing? Do you just own it? Ooh. I try not to be. So this is a conversation. It's kind of funny you had. I actually had this conversation this morning and I'm looking at it via text on the, to the left of me with a guy who's in R&D at a golf company. And I said, when you sit down in the plane and you look over and the person next to you has got a golf digest in their hand and he's like, hey, what do you do for a living? Do you say you work in golf R&D? And he said, no, he tells them he's a school teacher. But I'm fairly open about it because I'm super proud of it. But when I go play around a golf, which is not as often as I wish it was, I tend to shy away from it. If somebody asks, I'll always tell them. But I don't want to be that that equipment guy. Like I watched a guy, I got paired with a guy the other day at our club, and he, good golfer, but he hits the ball so low, and I could fix that in two seconds with an equipment <laughs> change. He doesn't have to do any, two seconds. But I don't want to be that guy. Let people enjoy it how they want to. I always say the same thing about clubs. Play whatever you want if it makes you smile. There you go. Do you get celebrity status when you guys have events through the site? Like, are you, are you, you're the man no. at those events? Uh, no. And I try not to be. I, I've, I've been a, a germaphobe long before COVID, which is super weird for a guy who bites his nails and stuff. But I've been the fist pump guy before right. the handshake and bro hug guy for a lot of times. Because frankly, if you've ever traveled as much as I am, people are pretty gross. Oh, yeah. Oh, you and Jason are going to get along. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I just prefer, I always have like, the rule is I want you guys to have the time of your life. Outside of that, I'll be in the background. I heckle some people from time to time. And there are some people who ask to meet me and things like that. And I always find that a little weird because they should be there to meet the people that we're hosting with. But I've never missed one and I never will, I think. And I just want them to be the time of their life. People, we work with a new company to plan an event. They always talk. Can, should we bring a tour player out there? You know, things like that. And I was like, you don't understand. You are the tour player to them. The guy who designed these clubs is the tour player. So I, I don't know. I think to me, no, I'm not. But if I am, I apologize. They should set their goals higher. Josh, if you could change one thing about the business or the website in, in, the, in that line, what would it be? Ooh, that's a really good question. There's a lot I would change. People always ask that and I say more time in the day and that's true. But I'd want to be better at the actual website stuff. I wish we were better at it. We have good writers. We have good editing. We take good photos. We do those things really well, but the actual website stuff, I think, is we, we lack a little bit. Video editing's the same way. I do enough to get by, and it's good, and we have people who do enough to get by. 
Our graphics person is fantastic. Jeremy is. So I think that there's a lot of things we do okay that I wish we could do really, really well. And maybe that comes, but I would say that's probably it. The thing we always say in the office here too is we you can't let perfect get in the way of good enough. Yeah, but I don't ever want to sacrifice. And I've said that before, like if a company sends me a press release and it's Tuesday at five and the embargo date is Wednesday morning, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it justice. I'll start a form thread on it. You'll get your coverage. But if you want like a full feature written review, our guys take the time on that stuff. So you, you've been at this a while, right? Everyone in any business, but particularly in content and media and things like that, has some moment at some point where either you feel like you're going to fail and you went all in. A lot of people in this space, you know, in our businesses, we both started doing stuff on the side before we went full time and got a little traction. You just dove headfirst in in 2008. At what point was there a point where you felt like either it was going to fail or you doubted it or you thought, oh my God, this isn't going to work? What was that like personally? Because that's a, there's always some like come to Jesus moment at some point. I can tell you exactly when it was. The Hacker's Paradise is probably the worst domain name in the history of the world because it has the word hackers in it. So everybody kind of refers to us as THP Golf and the name of our business incorporated is THP Media Inc. We had this brilliant idea to change our domain name six years in to thpgolf.com. And we did. And we own that also. But everything redirected to THP Golf, and my God, did it screw up all of our search engine. Every piece of SEO was screwed up. We got broken links. We did, everything was wrong. And it took us probably six months to realize how bad it was when I tried to search for my own name and it couldn't come up in Google. And it took like 18 months to fix everything. The other one, and I really thought the business was going to close at that point. I not to the extent of like shut down completely. We have really good partners who stick by us, even with boneheaded decisions like that. But to the point where I'm like, well, growth is over. We're going to try to figure this out on the cheap. We used to use vBullet and Form Software. And we used them from the infancy until two years ago, maybe three years ago. And we upgraded from something that worked perfectly to something that was so flawed, it was just a disaster. And I thought we were dead in the water then too. Fortunate and a shout out to Ben, our IT guy and Morgan, who stayed up like 48 hours straight, bought new software, built new software, hired somebody to help do it and get everything up and running like in like a 72 hour period. It was absolutely nuts to get it done right. And it's been flawless ever since. So we've been fortunate there, but there's been times every year at renewal time, I go through the same stress because I work so hard. And it's not even that if a company says we can't support you anymore. I understand that business changes in all facets. It's what did I do wrong to make it so you don't want to support us anymore? There's that moment of brief panic every year. Yeah. There's the popular meme on social of the entrepreneur's day, you know, where it's it's just like up and down, up and down. This isn't going to work. Things are going great. You know, and it's just, it's how it is. That's Yeah. And we've been super fortunate because of our partners that we're able to pick and choose who we can work for. I they, We don't do the thing that a lot of websites do in whatever niche you're in, which is send out the blanket ad media buy at the beginning of the year to everybody in your thing. We don't. We offer renewals to the companies we want to continue to work with. And when those are filled, fill, they're full. And we don't Go past that. If somebody comes to us, which they do, we get three or four after that throughout the year. Hey, we really like what you're doing. We want to be to partner up, then great. But otherwise, we've been really fortunate to be able to pick and choose and try to stay in our lane, so to speak. 
how do you balance partners? So, or how do you think about balancing partners? You know, I'm a big, uh, Jason's probably tired of me talking about like the 80-20 rule, right? And I'd rather spend, you know, 20% of the time on, on the ones who are either lowest impact or most dollars, right? And you, it sounds like you have a good number of partners. Do you have a line where it goes past dollars and cents where it's like, you know what, they're not easy to work with. They're not a good partner. Oh yeah. How do you think? I about actually that? have yeah. one right now that will not be getting <laughs> renewed because it's that okay. bad. And they're not, they're really nice people and they make a fantastic product, but waking up every morning to an email asking when something's coming, when it's not due for another seven days is tough. But no, I think that most of our partners have been pretty good because it's not one of those, I need X amount of articles, I need X amount of forum posts, I need social media poster contests or this. We're not based like that. And I think that that's been really, really unique. Nobody's ever had to email us, chase us down other than this one client to say, when are we getting X, Y, Z? And maybe we're super unique. I don't know any different because this is the only web thing I've ever done. So I don't know, but we try to stay in that lane of we're here for them to partner, but we are not a sales tool. What's a tool? So part of the idea behind this podcast is people being able to have takeaways for their own business, whatever it is, whatever vertical, whatever space. I think there's a lot of commonalities, similarities, trends, things like that. What tool or service is completely indispensable to you or someone on your team? Something you guys could not do your business without that might be applicable to others. You know, maybe not, not, not something that's golf specific, I guess. Oh man, that's a really good question because, you know, every single thing in our space has a competitor now. For instance, for our podcast, we use StreamYard. We like it. It's very clear and it works really well. But if I didn't use StreamYard, I could use this one or I could use 20 others that, that are similar. I'm not a big Zoom, Google Meets guy a lot of times because I feel like the quality sometimes suffers. But that's a really tough one. If I didn't use WordPress, I might struggle because I don't know what I'm doing and that's the only thing I know how to use. I'll go out and if I have to say one, I'll say Zenforo because I think their form software is simply the best there is and there's nothing like it. What makes it the best? It's fast. There's a million plugins and it's designed by actual people who understand forms instead of a software company creating something for a problem that doesn't exist. And it's so good compared to what we had that I don't know if we could do otherwise. Wow. Like, I, I, I don't know if I could go back. This is and that Zem Forum? Zen, X-E-N-F-O-R-O. And we are not affiliated with them. We literally bought the software and hired a designer to customize it for us, just like anybody else would. I mean, if they want to give me things, I'm happy to take them, <laughs> but otherwise, no. So uh, how, often do you, how often do you change out the clubs in your bag, right? You got a whole, <laughs> a whole studio there full of clubs. Do you ever play with the same club twice or is it a constant experiment for you? I do. And I actually don't change out very often. Once a year, I change out my clubs and it, we do a thing at the end of the year called Holiday Cheer, which is a week long. We give away stuff and I give away my clubs. Um, not, I don't know why people would want mine, but usually they have uh, like my irons have shafts that are custom with, you know, custom finish with the THP logo and stuff on there. So I give that stuff away. So once a year, although last year I only played six rounds, which is, I can't believe it. This year I've played 12 or 13 already and I've already made three changes. So, I, you know, it's, I, I do try to play with the company I'm keeping. So I, I don't do that because it's a sales tool or anything, but I think it's appropriate. They make really good equipment. The companies make really good equipment now. And I think companies have learned to, do something a little different to make people want to be a customer. You have to want to be a customer. And nobody's convinced the world like that other than Apple that being a customer is, I don't know the right word for this, but 
it's not an obligation, but you have a sense of pride to be a customer. It's like the opposite of Fight Club. If you you know do this, you have to tell everybody you do it. And I think companies that can convince people of that are the ones who win. At Tesla's, there's no better example than Tesla of that. The last question for me would be, what's your opinion on golf today? It seems to be stronger than ever, but someone who's been in it as intimately as you have been, uh, what are your thoughts? It is bigger than it's ever been, um, both from playing and equipment and cost and everything else. Part of that is the pandemic. When COVID hit, our partners didn't know if they would be in business in 30 days. And these are millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions in some cases, dollars of companies. They didn't know if they were going to survive because the world was shut down. And that's a lot of employees and a lot of overhead. Then don't even get into the part of supply chain, which is still plaguing us today. So seeing that it was one of the few things you could do, it brought people to the game and things like Top Golf reopening. Top Golf is the greatest it's convinced golfers you're playing golf and non-golfers you're not. And that is the most amazing aspect in the world. And it's a lot of fun too, for that matter. But when you start to see people come to the game and get the same passion immediately, whether they're good or not, I mean, that's the beauty of it is everybody's terrible at golf. Everybody. Ask anybody that you ever meet. If you learn they play golf, so you're a golfer? Yeah, but I'm not good. True. Everybody will tell you the same thing. And I think that that's the beauty of it is everybody's terrible at it. It's really hard. So the growth that we've seen in golf has really helped us, but more importantly, it's helped the people that we care about, our audience, our partners, and everything else enjoy it and be successful. Last one for me. Um, if, there's, if there's a piece of advice that you could give to somebody else, not necessarily in the golf space, but who's starting out as a web audience, as an influencer, whatever, what worked for you? Like, What nugget of wisdom would you pass along? Because you've been at this a while now. The one thing I would tell people is the one thing they don't want to hear, which is be 100% honest and transparent. It's not hard to find out who has real traffic and who doesn't, who's fake followers and who doesn't. Just be honest. I learned long ago that people will find a way to do business with people they like. And I'm not a sprint to get money kind of guy. There's a million places like that. I'm a marathon type of guy that I want a partner to come and be with us for the lifetime of our business. And I don't want to have to go through the turnover every year. A lot of the influencer model, which, hey, listen, if, if that is what works for your business to sponsor that, great. But a lot of that is grab some money, move on to the next thing. A lot like reviews were for years in media. A product comes out, you write out that product, then you move on to the next product. Well, what happens in 90 days when someone has a question about that product? Where are you to answer it? So I'm a big believer in being transparent with the audience and the client, meaning the paying customer, and letting the chips fall where they may. And if they fall in the right place, great for me. If they don't, then we'll find somebody who will. Josh, plug the website, the form. Where could people find you, the website, social, anywhere you want. Plug away. The website is www.thehackersparadise.com or thpgolf.com, as I uh, alluded to earlier. Do they point? Do they all point in the same direction now? <laughs> they do. And all of our social is thpgolf. Awesome. Because the Hackers Paradise doesn't fit. Josh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. All right. So that was Josh Babbitt of the Hackers Paradise. Jason, really interesting business model uh, Josh has. What are your initial thoughts on building this sort of a site? Because I don't, I don't think I have it in me to do what he's doing with, with the events. No. And you know, I, one question, if, if we have Josh on again in the future, that I think I'd like to ask him, would he take the exact same approach 
now, you know, because I mean, 14 years ago was a long time, right? And what I've been talking to Kyle about on the side, because this interview had us talking a lot here in the office, was the approach to affiliate. And the approach Josh takes, and there's a lot of people like this who are like, hey, like, I don't want my audience to feel like something is not genuine. And so that's his concern that they put affiliate links on it and it feels paid. It doesn't feel right. So I totally get his approach. So it's just curious in my brain to ask Kyle, like, hey, how much money potentially is he leaving on the table? Is it really not that much because he has a core audience and that is working for him? And obviously the business is successful to hang around for 14 years. So Absolutely. if there is something that's missing, my guess is it's not material to him and to his business. And that's what this is all about. You and I are, are obviously not very bashful about putting ads and calls to actions on our websites, right? But we've also been very proactive with our audiences and explaining to them what we do. You know, I, I had built and, and run a, a, I'd say a sports community. I, I don't want to say it's similar to what Josh had in that they're doing a forum and events, which is a whole layer deeper. But I had a sports website where our most traffic page was the homepage. So people really did kind of trust and come to know us. And we did do the occasional events and people, you know, we knew our most valuable readers and so on and so forth. And we've always been very upfront when we use affiliate ads that, hey, these are partners. Clicking on these links, you will be supporting the site. And many times it's additive. The same argument uh, about not trying to over-monetize your audience with affiliate ads could be made for the, the partners that he has. At the end of the day, it's just the mechanism which you're getting paid to do something. He, he's very upfront about the fact that he has paid product reviews, but that they don't sacrifice the integrity of the review, which is absolutely the right way to go about it. But there's very successful affiliate businesses that do just that as well. Look at the wire cutter, which was purchased by the New York Times. The entire thing is an affiliate business, and they do not sacrifice their journalistic standards. In fact, they will often recommend products that are currently you know, not available on Amazon or Best Buy where they're affiliates of, and they have to link out to something that they're not going to get paid for because they know in the long run, people will trust the reviews. So look, I think there is definitely a way to do this business and use affiliate links and maybe be able to be paid Yes, still take premium sponsors, but still take some revenue on those products where you are not a partner of the company, but you're reviewing otherwise, and you can drop an Amazon link. And again, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's only a 10 to 20% lift in, in revenue. But I, I think as long as you're upfront with people and you're actually not diluting the quality of what you're writing about a product, at the end of the day, I don't think the audience cares how the check is being cut. Is it on a per referral basis or is it on just a, a partnership basis? So, but I do get his point that this model works for him. And you know, it seems like he has a stable of rotating clients, which I also get. From my perspective, that's a lot of invoices and, and handholding, and I prefer some more automation in the servicing advertisers, but clearly he has a very unique and special sauce going. And this is also the beauty of the creator economy, right? He's working for himself. He's calling the shots. He, he does not have a boss, and he's going to want to do this thing the way he wants to do it. And that's the beauty, I think, of where everything is moving today. I mean, people do not want to be uh, caught up in, you know, having to answer to someone and they want to have their own hours. And, you know, COVID certainly brought this along. This the thing, I think the fast forward button on the creator economy. And this is a man who's and his wife who, from what we could tell, seem to be absolutely crushing it for their level of comfort in, ter in terms of being a creator, monetizing their audience and enjoying their life, especially diving in headfirst, like you mentioned, like we went through in, in the show. I mean, that is something that normally most people kind of start something on the side. You know, they feel it out, dip the toe in the water. 
They went in head first. So all, all the credit to them for their success, what they've done for THP. I don't think I, at any stage in life, probably could have dealt with just going cold turkey on income to no income, right? I know a lot of people do that. And if you're starting like a pizza shop, it's a little bit different because the day you open the doors, you know at least there's some money coming in. With a web audience, that is not guaranteed. I mean, you really do have to build audience first or have a clear business model because it's, it's very undefined. I don't know if I could hang with that. I asked him about the win-win-win aspect. And I think to your point about this being something that he likes to do and he's not reporting to anybody, this is so unique that the way he's built his business, because it really is a lifestyle business for him. To his point, you know, there's probably not many other people who are, can do these events. He goes to every event. He's a part of it, right? So he's able to bring value, in, and this is why it works, in all directions, right? The audience knows what they're getting, how is he makes money, that he has integrity, and then they show up at the events, they get to meet him and interact with others. So it works for the audience. They get cool experiences for little or no cost. The companies, he's bringing value to these companies because he's basically able to bring them their most valuable customers that they can engage with and speak with and find out how they like their products and, and start to seed some of that word of mouth for probably a cost that he said it's more than a rounding error for them, but it's way cheaper than TV ads, right? So it's a great ROI for the business. And for him, it's the best of both worlds. He's making money and it's clearly a lifestyle business. Going out and doing golf events, getting in the RV, showing up at golf courses, you know, that is, that is the definition of, of a lifestyle business. It's not just something you do, it's something you enjoy. I'm willing to bet Josh is like, get 10 out of 10 Josh when he's at, at the, the Callaway event. Oh, there's no doubt. And you get 10 out of 10 from people when they're doing something that they love, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Um, the other thing that I love, I believe you, you guys will find out as you listen to more podcasts that I am king of botching sayings and old, old whatever. But what's old is new again when I look at the forum, right? I mean, this is early internet days of how popular forums were, and they've certainly fallen off. But he is crushing it with the utilization of the forum using an updated software, a Zen forum, uh, for which I believe is now a WordPress plugin that he says is absolutely crucial. And looking at his site and how it operates, you see it. I mean, the, many of his social posts go right into the forum, the contests, everything that are there. And SEO value is there with that forum. Communication between members, communication easily to Josh, or uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how active his wife is in the forum, but it sounds like she certainly is too. You know, you're getting right to the person who runs that website especially with, with events being driven, you want that access. And that forum certainly allows that uh, to be done. So it's, it's interesting to see you know, how that is still being utilized today in such a successful way. Yeah, I mean, and you said what, what's old is new again. And this is kind of like the, the great theory of bundling and unbundling. Uh, and I'll talk about streaming in a sec because I think this actually matters. But look at newsletters now, right? Newsletters are so hot right now. And five years ago, they were, they were an email, the email newsletter was dead. It was kind of an afterthought, right? And what happened was, is, you know, you had newsletters and emails back in the, in the early aughts, right? In the aughts. And then over this last decade, it, social just became so big and unstoppable with such immense growth that everyone was on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and now TikTok because you can get such scale and you can interact with so many people so easily. But then the flip side of that is now is now you're finding that being unwound because it's so broad and wide and you have, you know, sent, not to get in the political side, but you have what can, can you can and can't say or what sort of hate are you going to get from the, the outside world? And they're just talking about golf products, but, you know, the rule, it sounds like in general is don't be a dick, right? Be kind, be respectful to the newbie, the hacker. This is about hackers. This is not about pros. You go on Twitter and you mention a golf club 
you're still going to get five, ten percent of the audience who are going to respond to that tweet with something nasty. You know, you suck, or you should try this, and you know, it's it's almost like a safe space for golf fans. And that is now back in vogue. And you see the same thing with streaming. And, you know, we don't really want to date these episodes, but right now in the news is how Netflix is struggling because they lost subscribers. Eventually, and, and everything needs to be bundled again. Now there's so many streaming things where it's, it's in, the bundle is back in. So to your point, what is, there's this like, you know, it's this breathing in and out of everything in business. It gets, it goes the other direction, then it swings too far and it comes back. And, and that just constantly happens over the years. And I'm sure, well, I don't know, I'm sure 10 years from now, you'll see the opposite and forms will be out of style again. But at the end of the day, if you have an engaged audience like he does, that's really all that matters. If you find a place they're consistently engaged, you're going to make money. Yeah, it's to your point, the level of control in that forum helps his business tremendously. The, the hate that we're seeing out there in social, it is so profound that you can see why now, and I'm sure we're going to see with more and more people that we talk to, man, I am trying to keep that as far away from my business as possible. You know, and it's going to be interesting to see and hear how people do that. You know, I will tell you, it's probably not something that I thought we probably will be covering too much on some of this. But now, just as we're diving into some of these, you have these interviews, like it seems to be certainly top of mind. You know, the business world continues to, to change every day that it exists. And to your point, one day it's one thing, another day it's the next. So it uh, makes for interesting discussions for us. How about his view on how to get around that, which is imagine you have to play 18 holes of golf with this person, right? That's a great, that's a great example of, of tamping down hate. You know, hey, just so you know, you might spend four hours outside alone with this person one day. And it's amazing how differently people act. I agree. It's like Mike Tyson's comment on, on social media, you know, <laughs> how many people are actually going to say these things to me in person? You know, one guy most, did. Yeah. One guy threw a bottle. True. Yeah. But yeah, I, we, we saw what happened. Getting punched by Mike Tyson, I'm sure is not fun. Anyway, a uh, great interview with, with Josh Babbitt. Really unique. And to me, that's a sort of interview and topic that's right in our wheelhouse because it's not just a traditional website that's taken programmatic ads. They've, he's really thought about monetization and he has hard and fast rules. Like his no affiliate rule is strict. He does have some banner ads. Look, if you got traffic, and you got inventory, you're very rarely harmed by throwing some Google ads. It's just, you know, kind of extra cash. But his premium sponsors have very specific rules as to what they get, and he does not take affiliates. So the, he's, he's definitely thought about and honed this in over, over a decade and a half now. So good stuff. Uh, you know, please check out the Hacker's Paradise, certainly if you're a golf fan and if you're a fan of uh, anything he said, really just to kind of see it in practice, what he's doing with his audience. 